0: Hello and welcome to actually Best Choice Movies, the world's only movie podcast. Uh, I am one of your hosts. My name is Chris Chafin.
1: Hi. Hello. Caleb Shively is one of the hosts that is me. Not
0: for <laughs> Caleb, as always, it could not have been more eloquently put by Shakespeare himself. Even the immortal know. bard could never. Um, <laughs> Jermaine was Shakespeare was very well done. Have I read Shakespeare?
1: No, Jermaine Shakespeare or the other one?
0: <laughs> Jermaine, yes, no, Jermaine Shakespeare. Of course, who else would I be referring to? Whoa. Everyone knows that's who you mean when you say Shakespeare. <laughs> Uh, so every week on Actually Best Choice Movies, uh, the world's only movie podcast, we talk about two movies. One of them is old and one of them is new. And uh, the the trick is, you see, they're both good and they're both like related in some way. Like, say, the character is in a work of fiction and people in real life. You know what I'm saying, Caleb?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I do understand because I do the podcast with you. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, the good movies in the sense that you heard it was good or we're telling you it's good or... Is that good? And we're answering that with talking, and yeah, the connection is uh, you know pretty straightforward for the most part. But the most part doesn't mean every time. Uh, should we get to the connection between our two films, or should we say our two films? Sure, go after you. You're so oh, okay. excited this time. Please the go new, for it. New film uh, currently on Hulu because theaters don't exist. Shirley from Josephine Decker and. Uh, We're pairing that with American Splendor uh, from 2003. That connection being writers who are writing a real-life book, uh, and that's what the movie's about. Yeah, I could have said that more eloquently.
0: (laughs) I mean, you know what? I don't know. I think you're philosophically unable to say things more clearly than that. I think it's a point of pride to you not to say things more clearly.
1: I think... Uh, that is a counterpoint of clear. So in some ultimate universe, I See, am this very is clear. exactly
0: This is exactly what I'm talking about. Yes. That's all this week on, actually, best choice, it's movies. Movies. Okay, uh, but before we get to any of that, this week we're going to talk about some of the best movies that have come out so far in 2020. We're just about exactly halfway through the year. But uh, actually, before that even, I wanted to say... Uh, Thank you to the guys from wake dad, (laughs) drink, repeat podcast, wake dad, drink, repeat. Yes, exactly. I interviewed me last night on their show. I'm, I'm the episode will be out this week as you hear this episode, I guess. Um, because I wrote something for Vox about being a dad, and I've been writing about parenting lately, and uh, they were very nice. They had very nice things to say about this show, and it was great to be on on their show. And if you're listening, like, please, please tell me that you're still listening to the show. Then uh, thank you so much, guys. It was it was great, great to be on the show. Ah, but yeah. So, best movies of the year, Caleb. What do you have to say about this?
1: Well, I talked about it uh, a while ago. Uh, it was the last movie I saw in theaters. First Cow. Uh, that's my favorite movie so far this year. It came out, uh, that was March, was the last time I was in theater, uh, any of us was in the theater. So uh, that was the bar set. And, uh, you know, it's a Kelly Reichardt movie. It's a very, very Northwestern, simple movie that, you know, is just a good little, almost folktale uh, about a cow in the territory. Uh, there's been some other great ones, but I'll let you pick another one. But that's my favorite movie so far in 2020, first cow
0: first cow i mean we've it's come up often on the show because it was if it was a fateful event in both of our lives and it, kind of in the history of the world i mean yeah. if we're being honest like yeah i'll never it forget like, it for you, that this reason. is the last movie you saw in a movie theater and i was supposed to see it but i could not see it because all of movie theaters shut down everywhere in new york city before i could see it it's crazy it's crazy and i i don't i still don't think it's streaming anywhere is it
1: yeah it's weird uh it's that's march so that's More than three months, four months now. Uh it should you could at least rent it on Amazon, but damn.
0: If you go on Amazon right now, it says that you can pre-buy it. Why? What is that?
1: (laughs) It's just I think it's if you Google
0: it, it comes up like like it's on Amazon Prime and there's a button like you can rent it. But if you actually read what the button says, it says pre-purchase because it's not available yet, you know? Damn.
1: A24 has a streaming deal, or they used to have a streaming deal with Amazon, so maybe it's a, a renegotiation of that right now. I think that's the last rate. A24 movie. Uh, they delayed St. Maud, which was another A24 movie I was looking forward to seeing. Damn.
0: A24. but Yeah, no, that's a great movie. I would really love to see it. It's just to say, I, I am eternally jealous that you got to see it and eternally mad at myself for not having seen it. And I, I honestly can't wait to do, and we should definitely do it on the show like as soon as it's available to stream. Ooh. I think we should, no matter when it comes out. Um, So, you know, the 2020, it hasn't been like a stellar year for movies because of obviously coronavirus and the world like exploding. And a lot of movies have pushed their release uh, at least past where we are right now. So there really have not been a lot of movies that have come out. Like in all honesty, like looking at the lists of the best movies of the year, I honestly, you know, a lot of them are not great. A lot of the movies on the lists of best movies of the year at this point are like, kind of lame i think if you ask me uh and i just because of there have not been that movies many that have come out and it's been mostly like you know
1: the ones streaming
0: original movies that are kind of like genre-y i feel like that's that's what a lot of these movies are yeah like that movie dark of night showed up on a lot of these lists or vast of of Night? night
1: The Vast of Night. Actually, I was going to bring that one up. I actually, did you see that movie? I didn't
0: see it, but it looked so cheesy. I watched oh, the trailer. I, I, it looked like a student film or
1: something. I was going to bring that up as uh, my second favorite movie of this year. Really? Yeah, is it really, really, really good? good? Like, you really like um, it? It is. Um, uh, there is actually a big distributor there. I think it might be Annapurna, but I could be wrong there. Oh, Amazon. It's Amazon. Amazon is the distributor. That's why it's on it's streaming <laughs> on Amazon right now. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, definitely you can see the budget there. But they make up for it with just a very original and inventive uh direction uh like it's a lot of just uh, soliloquying or a lot of just uh big long speeches and it's over one night where uh, an alien might come and they just uh really don't dive into the alien aspects of it they dive into the uh mysterious sound that could it be and they dive into uh how a small town can get affected like the big, it's a big it's the night of the big basketball game and they just like go throughout the town. And the way they go throughout the town is just really long tracking shots too. It's all like just uh, like either long static shots or long tracking shots across town, which I assume they did it with drone, but like it's very too low to the ground and kind of too clean of a shot to be drone. So that's all this stuff I'm thinking of. And then like the actual dialogue is kind of just weird and uh, like they get nothing but character actors to do it. So it's like a, a cheapness to it, but that's just kind of selling it short. It's actually a really, really good movie.
0: I wasn't so much that I thought the budget, when I say it looks like a student film, I didn't mean the budget. I meant more that it took, it seems to take place in a universe of where everything is a cliche. Like every single person and car and house is some kind of like, this is like a person. Cause it doesn't, it kind of nebulously take place in the
1: 1950s. It is in the 1950s. It is in the 1950s. Right.
0: (laughs) But that's like every student film is in the 1950s. Everybody, you know, has like big horn rim glasses and girls in big dresses. And it's like, I don't know. You know, it just seems like
1: it's very specific to its uh, New Mexico City, too, which I thought was interesting. Well, that's cool like know, why everyone, you know I just
0: don't understand why why I'm a young person in the year 2020 is making a movie set in the 1950s other than that it's like this series of cliches that have been passed down I mean, through they, filmmaking you know I mean, like i it has so foreign to this person's experience and i I cannot imagine that it's adding anything to the drama or the up. insight uh, of it being in, in the 50s it's just like because that's when like movies happen
1: you know I don't think so that happens at all. <laughs> um, so it's in the 50s uh I think it's based off of a truish story or a folktale or like a legend of that area and it also uh they do that for the radio station it's like it's it's a huge part of the movie being a small town uh radio station in the 50s is a big part of that movie. Uh I'm kind of going to talk about it because I was going to suggest we do this on podcast but this I didn't uh, like I said, it's there's not a lot of great movies there, but it's uh, great. it was good enough and I really enjoyed it. Uh, and it's a movie that made me just want to like shut up and watch it, which is... That's cool. Uh, That's cool. Uh, as a person who's been watching thousands of movies, uh, sometimes <laughs> I don't, don't shut up and watch it. I just talk through it. I watched UHF last night and just criticized it the whole time. I felt so bad at the end. Were you alone <laughs> or were you, were you hanging out with yes. someone? <laughs> I was by myself getting mad at UHF for <laughs> plot choices. <laughs>
0: I love to imagine you sitting in the dark muttering to yourself about UHF.
1: <laughs> two two years in, it was dark, man. Dark times. Oh man, that's
0: great. I'm glad we're hanging out tonight then. I'm glad <laughs> that we're talking to <laughs> each He's other. Like, that's You're saving me. You know, it's kind of tough actually. Um I guess the assistant I really enjoyed. I thought that was a very well-made film. I thought it was interesting to watch. It's not necessarily something I want to like go back and see again, but as far as like a document of this moment in history and 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 done as a film, I thought it was very good in the way that it was, like, constructed, like, using the language of film, you know, which I enjoyed a lot. I thought that was a
1: a great performance from, uh, I forgot her name, Julia Garner. Uh, Yeah,
0: Julia Garner is fantastic in the movie. mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, she's so good.
1: Yeah, we talked about that in the podcast. uh, And another one that we did on the podcast that is, I I would think, would be a, a great movie regardless of the year is a never rarely, sometimes, always from Eliza. Yeah. That's Hitton. a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great, great movie.
0: I enjoyed it again. Not one that I think I'm going to like go back to, but it was like, mm-hmm. it was very interesting to see. And it was, you know, it was, it was very true to life of much yeah. like, um, yeah, the assistant, right. It, it felt very uh, true to life.
1: Both those movies are like big and memorable in their subject matter and in the execution of dealing with the subject matter that like, yeah. Maybe in a year or two, I could. No, not even. Maybe in like five years, I <laughs> yeah, could revisit it. Right.
0: I mean, a movie that I like that I I could see rewatching, and in a certain way, it feels like an an older movie, like one from the '90s or the early 2000s that you would watch on TV over and over again, uh, is Bad Education. Like that oh, was yeah. on all these lists. That's an HBO original movie. Like we talked about it on the show, but not like it wasn't one of the one of the two movies. I really enjoyed that. And I do feel like I feel like I could watch that movie a million times, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, You have no
0: other thoughts on Bad Education other than to say, yeah. Do you have nothing else? Did you did you like
1: that movie? Did you like it? it. Yeah, We talked about it on the show uh, as a pre thing. Yeah. uh, I think we just we talked about it in the sense of uh, Hugh Jackman as one of his better performances and how odd his career really is. Yes. And uh, to pull that out from him at this stage in his career, I was like, I should open up a uh, less fantastical and more mature stage of Hugh Jackman that I've been craving. Hugh Jackman's Wolverine!
0: It's weird that he got to kick off this era with, like, kind of doing an old superhero, you know? Like, he got, to, mm-hmm. he was Logan, and then he's just a bunch of sad sacks. It's, like, it's like the, the reverse of the way a superhero movie usually goes. It's like,
1: yeah.
0: can you hire me in a serious drama? Like, look at what I did in this superhero movie, you know?
1: Another one of my favorite movies this year, and I'm moving the show along And doing so, is uh, the one we're going to talk about now. Uh, Shirley from Josephine Decker. It's from this year. Chris, is it okay to move the show along at this rapid pace? Dude, let's fucking do it, dog. Cool. This is Shirley. Uh, Shirley, what are you writing now?
0: A little novella. I'm calling none of your goddamn business. <laughs>
1: well, you were invited to stay here for a few days. Until we could find a place. Shirley has these bouts. She's gone sick in the head. I read your story. What are you doing here? It made me feel thrillingly horrible. Do you know what it's like to have a secret? Rose and Fred are a young couple that move in with acclaimed writer Shirley Jackson and her professor husband, Stanley. Fred is Stanley's teaching assistant, and Rose has aspirations of her own. The couple are then sucked into the drama of Shirley and Stanley's relationship and find themselves prodded into the inspiration of Shirley Jackson's next novel, uh, based on the 2014 novel by Susan Scarf Merrill and directed by experimental filmmaker Josephine Decker, whose previous works include... Madeline's Madeline, and Butter on the Latch. Also, this film is a stud on the championship belt of ABC movie favorite Elizabeth Moss, here playing Shirley Jackson. Shirley Jackson, if you don't know, is the author of The Lottery, Haunting of Hill House, uh, gothic novels and works, horror fiction. Uh, She suffered from um, mental illness and uh, was mistreated by her husband and mocked by her peers during her time. And this movie is a reflection of that and uh, really just showcases a person who's Uh, Life was really reflected in her writing, and Decker and Moss both strongly portray an artist using that misery to fuel her work. A biopic in name only, it's a very, very big swing that happened. It won the Auther Prize at this year's Sundance for Josephine Decker, uh, who is a very original movie director. Uh, I know we have some thoughts on this. I have a lot to unpack because I'm a Very turned around as a fan of Josephine Decker by this movie. Chris, share, please.
0: Oh, gosh, Caleb. I mean... I am aware this is one of those movies that is on everyone's list of the best movies of the year. Elizabeth Moss is doing a great performance. Michael Stuhlbarg is doing a great performance. But I have to say, I just, this is just not the kind of movie that I like. I really actually dislike it, like, a lot. <laughs> like, I, I, and I, I mean, I can go into it. I wrote all sorts of, like, <laughs> you know, Bon
1: mots for me to say later on about this movie. Okay, maybe um, you could uh, fill I could set you up and you could drop them in.
0: <laughs> I mean, this, you have set me up already. This is like, you've, I mean, this is pretty, I don't know what else I could really ask for.
1: You, have you seen other, I, I asked you this and I said we could save it to the podcast. Have you seen her other, just Josephine Decker's other movies? No, I have not. I have not. I'm a huge uh, Josephine Decker fan. Madeline's Madeline is like her big calling card. And that's a movie about a young student whose talent is harnessed by a theater teacher. Uh, and that goes into like this weird creative meta sense uh and that's even re- re- all her movies are weirder than this movie if you didn't like uh, <laughs> uh surely which well, it's a movie not that i, I
0: found think... it it's not that i found it weird i mean it, it's more like i don't know i feel like this is a movie kind of that is aggressive it's
1: uh it, it's uh tries to get you in a very unsettling headspace uh it,
0: i didn't think that it did it was i mean
1: i could tell it was trying to do much, that yeah yeah it, was, it very much was uh, uh working with its score uh it's working with its editing and cinematography to just like really put you in a weird like it did it take very much artistic swings and uh the camera was very handheld and paralleled sure uh did it always work uh does experimental films always work it's uh experimental film it's like one of those things like i just really just am Mm. amazed that they're even pulling this off uh the sound design is another aspect of this movie that like really like threw me for a loop I, i i was very much making a meal of this movie
0: I mean, that's good. And all that stuff sounds good. And it sounds interesting when you talk about it. I mean, but to this for me, this and maybe this I don't know how this is going to sound. But it's like this. So you're like you said, it's based on a 2014 novel. It reminds me of a certain kind of novel, you know, this kind of like MFA uh, lyrical uh, novel uh, kind, that is really popular over the last like 10 years or so. They've made a couple of adaptations of them and, and they're kind of are similar to this, you know, because of the because of the way those books are are written and the way that they're kind of confusing and, you know, like aspirationally obtuse. And so, you know, I reminded me of something like Sharp Objects, right, where even they use a lot of the same camera <laughs> techniques where like.
1: That there's was like... way more straightforward. That was like work. More... Dude, no. they do
0: the exact same thing with the like cameo things. It's like people wandering around a big house. It's like, you know, random cuts between people like looking in the sink really meaningfully, you know? And it's like, okay, all right. Yeah. I mean, it, and it's trying to capture something that's going on in these kinds of books. And and I just don't think it translates well to film. And I, to me, this is not a good movie. Like me, I, don't, I don't find it to be experimental. I find it to be like, just like maudlin, almost, you know, and and amateurish, and you know, like I don't, I don't think that it's, I don't find it to be daring, you know, I find it to be f- befuddling, I find it to be muddled, self-serious, and impossible to follow. This is the Bon mots that are the Bon Maw that I wrote. Um, this movie well, d- deflects being watched. It resists your attention. It's like when a spacecraft tries to enter the Earth at the, uh, like the atmosphere at the wrong angle and bounces off. Like I feel like it is it is h- impossible to look at this movie because it just like it does not want to be paid attention to.
1: So, other types of things that I'm interested, in, like uh, the beauty of ugliness, and uh, I, I would say uh, it's getting not, into this is, in- it's not
0: ugly. It's it's, not, I don't think it's ugly. Uh,
1: getting into Josephine Decker, uh, like all her movies have this like beautiful and scary is how I would describe them. Uh, it's, uh, very fast moving, but in place at the same time. Uh, there's a very intimate rawness that's also innocent. I don't know. I'm saying like contradictory words, uh, blo- broadly claustrophobic. Like she takes a lot of just, uh, themes of, uh, not necessarily righteous anger, but like a messiness and a Shirley as well as her other films have a lot of themes of, uh, women friendship and, uh, creativity and she like really just gets to a more uh esoteric she's tr- looking more into less a story into describing the process of those things and those oh aren't God. necessarily real tangible things to write they're just she's using the uh experience of cinema to like really portray these headspaces. spaces uh, and it makes a lot of
0: decisions and i feel not to cut you off please go ahead go ahead
1: i'll just gonna say uh there's a um uh, a quote from uh, a critic, Sheila O'Malley, that I like about Josephine Decker, that I was going to read. Uh, uh, she writes for RogerEber.com. Uh, Sheila O'Malley said, uh, the experience is sometimes like listening to music underwater or trying to adjust the muscles in your eyes to read fine print. It's a physical reaction to her movies, which is why I love her. So her as a director.
0: Yeah, I mean, but then it's like the movie, and I guess maybe these are the book's faults and not the movie's faults, but like... Okay, so it wants to be this like, poetic, raw, emotional portrait of a, a, a woman, you know, creating her work of art, you know, Shirley Jackson. Okay, well, why the fuck are we have this whole frame story with these two kids? Like, who gives a shit about these kids? Oh, or like. I
1: that's a, I mean that's a, that isn't what
0: is the point it's just so like it's so like TV show when it's like I'm the new kid in class you know so everybody has to explain what's going on here to me that's why like, why every high school show starts with someone moving to town you know so that there's like a reason to explain everything it just seemed like such a such a device you I, I, know? I,
1: I, 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 I mean it's the story it's the the adapting of the story I, I like that story it's uh, almost a uh like a weird fairy tale in that uh like it's she's a a young woman, uh, this is uh, the, uh, the t- uh, Rose and Fred are their names. Uh, they're, they're moving and they come to town, but whatever he said. Uh, so uh, Fred goes off with. Uh, his... Oh my God, and she's reading
0: the lottery on yeah. the bus on the way to town. Yeah. And she's like, oh my gosh, I can't yeah. believe it. Um, it's the first scene in the movie. I was like, oh yeah, my God, I was rolling up. my eyes already when that was happening. I mean,
1: when she brings it up to Shirley that she's a big fan, Shirley does everything but roll her eyes because she seems like too tired to roll her eyes at her, which I thought was really funny. Uh, but, this, but like I was saying, it's a, like a, a, almost like a fairy tale plot. A young woman gets told to by, uh, by a man to go work for what we think is an evil woman. Like they're pawning her off is the plot. Like they're pawning her off on Shirley. Uh, but then Shirley turns out to be a friend. And like that's where the movie really gets going is like when the weird kindred spirit emerges at them. Uh, and a lot of I'm glad I thought of this on my own before reading reviews and a lot of people saying this too. But it reminded me of uh, <laughs> my favorite movie of all time, "Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf"? Uh, like a, it's more of a slow-burning, disorienting version of "Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf." Yeah, it's very yeah,
0: similar to that movie.
1: Yeah, definitely. That movie takes place over one night, where this movie is uh, several months of slow-burning, <laughs> yeah. disastrous. So, like those movies, it's uh, both these movies are two couples and. So, Shirley and Stanley in this movie, this is the Stolberg character and Elizabeth Monsters, Shirley Jackson. Uh, they are monsters at each other. At, at, uh, like, I, I don't think they had that many, they had a lot of scenes together, but, like, it wasn't, they weren't, like, the main relationship in the movie. I would say Rose and Shirley were. But every time, it was just, like, holy shit. They are, like, two trolls, like, on the internet, like, just jabbing yeah. at each other the whole time. Uh, and like this
0: he, part is like supposedly real, basically about Shirley Jackson. Yeah, uh, It
1: like, was horrible to her. Uh, the only thing person, that yeah. wasn't real in this movie is that they uh, they didn't show this. They had a in real life, they had four kids, and she was uh, like she wrote children's books and uh, <laughs> books on parenting,
0: and like, yeah, and like wrote magazine articles about having yeah. kids and stuff. Like, I mean, I oh, actually like, think that's really interesting. I mean, I, you know, and I'm biased as a parent, but like it, it does, it is. An interesting choice and you wonder why they made it and i i think part of it is because it's so much easier to show her as being this like tornado of misery than to show her as a complicated person who like you know enjoys her children but hates her children and like you know and has some genuine pleasure in being a parent i Mm -hmm. feel like it's it's kind of an easy way out to just be like oh we don't want to get into any of that stuff but then it's weird because the, there is stuff which they do put her with kids and you're like well why are you doing this i don't know this is another thing where i thought why is the movie doing this like what i, don't are, I mean maybe is this the is the book. book again i don't know if this is the book or the.
1: Oh, movie. i guess uh, when uh, they're her baby that rose had a baby oh yeah that wasn't probably in the book um just the idea of shirley just like i, I i've read the lottery i've read haunting at hill house nothing mm-hmm. else but i knew about her but what a character it's like And I think Moss, it's like one of her best performances, in my opinion. Uh, Like, you never know the exact mindset of what she's doing. Like, she could be just drunk in a situation, or she should be just manically depressed, or she could be both. Uh, She's always ferocious and scary, but always, like, unkempt. And that (laughs) always has a confidence to her. Uh, I mean, it's
0: a classic. It's a classic Elizabeth Moss role. This is yeah. rapidly becoming like what it she does is she you know defines, like, absolutely
1: terrifying does. women. Yeah, like her husband treats her poorly, and but she decides for herself to be isolated as she is. So she like chooses this darkness as her own worldview, and she makes a lot of like off kilter choices even within uh, this burgeoning friendship with her new friend Rose, who is first there out of obligation and then just grows to more of a fascination with her. Uh, and there's like a culminating scene of that I thought was really good. Uh, I would just say that's the mushroom scene. I think you know what I'm saying? Not to spoil it. Yeah. The, See, I hated that scene also. That I it was that. cool.
0: <laughs> it's, uh, just... it's like she's
1: creating a chaos. Uh, and this is like all, and when, as we're learning it, it's to help her writing, to get into a little bit. Uh, she starts well, yeah. seeing, as she's writing, she's writing the book, uh, it turns out it's called The Hangman. I haven't read it, but it's about the unsolved disappearance of a young girl Uh, in their town. Uh, The young girl's name is Paula and she keeps picturing it as she's writing this book but she keeps picturing it as Rose too so it like really blurs that line and she keeps treating Rose I don't know if it's necessarily better but like more comfortable with her as she's writing this book.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, so the connection between these two movies is the depiction of writing so I mean, to talk about the depiction of writing in this movie it was, again, it just struck me as so phony and so like... I mean, okay, it's lyrical and it's poetic and it's imaginative. But also, I mean, like it was fucking ridiculous, dude. I mean, it was so theatrical. It was like she's like having hallucinations of people around her and she's like feverishly, you know, perched on the side of the tub, like scrolling in a notebook. And she's like, you know, like sweating and drinking bourbon and like, you know, people are trying to talk to her. And she's like, get out of here. I'm writing like Jesus fucking Christ. Like never in history has anyone ever behaved like that. I would I,
1: say I I thought that was very true. I, I she was a manic depressive in real life. I don't know how she would portray.
0: I mean, dude, it just was like I mean, if we're going to talk about, you know, how does it make writing look? It was I I did not find it to be <laughs> I mean, it, I wish that it was like that. That seems very cool. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, I I mean, and of course I am not a famous novelist. I'm not saying I'm like the talented, like Shirley Jackson way of
1: writing, maybe how cruel an author can be to get to a position of writing or how the state of mind they have to put themselves into as a theme for just, this movie. I found it to be very false. I found it to be very false. Oh, I, I, I mean, theatrical,
0: you know, theatrical.
1: Yeah. And I thought that's where, uh, the whole handheld cameras, this, uh, Weird cinematography. The cinematographer's name is uh Sterla Branth Grovlin. He did uh Victoria, which is a cool movie. He did this movie I like called Rams. Uh but yeah, a lot of just like mud- yeah, I mean muddled is a great word. You used it. Uh the curtains were like a certain color and like very much in the foreground. Uh I mean in the back- in the background as uh, I don't know. There's like a lot of just cool shots that I was really into. Uh and the score, oh my gosh, I love this score. Uh this is the same score. Her her name is uh, T- Tamar Collie. Uh, she did the uh, score for The Assistant earlier this year as well. Uh, and it's mm. a very like, up, down, loud, uh, banging score. And like I say, I love the score. I would never listen to it by itself. <laughs> I thought it was just perfect for a movie that is trying to make you feel uncomfortable.
0: Do you listen to movie scores? I mean, I, I remember when that was a big thing. Everyone Remember when it used to be a thing that everyone had the Jurassic Park soundtrack on CD with them all the time? No. <laughs> or is that just like nerds that I hung out with in high school? <laughs> was that, like, was this ever it. a thing?
1: The Parasite Square from last year, I listened to it quite a bit. was on Thinker But do you yeah, know what I'm I
0: talking thought... about? Did you ever have friends that used to listen to the Jurassic Park soundtrack? No. <laughs> really? No? I swear to God, this was a thing. I swear to God. Jurassic Park, it's huge, it's huge, dog. If you were 12 years old at the time, it was huge, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is to get back to Shirley. I mean, I don't have too much more to say about it, but I I will say, like, oftentimes in a movie that doesn't really work, uh, as I would say, this movie doesn't work. One of the tragedies is there are parts of the movie that are working great, and you can see that, like, like these people think they're in a good movie, you know, (laughs) like, and I do think the scenes with Michael Stuhlbarg and with uh with uh elizabeth moss are fantastic you know obviously they have such a great energy together it's two completely very skilled actors like just going at each other and it's it's really great to watch but i will say even those scenes i don't find to be particularly well like you know i didn't like how they were shot i didn't like how they were edited like i enjoyed seeing them you know, interact with each other, but it, I did not particularly even think those scenes were like well done. But you could see that the two of them performing, it's like, yeah, they, they're fucking crushing it, but they don't know that the movie that's happening around them is like I thought not, they were, not crushing it.
1: Uh, they were shot in a way that mirrored their aggressiveness to each other. I think they kind of work as a couple. <laughs> they kind of do, right? I yeah, agree. they complimentary, monstrous to, towards each other. Like they're. Like, she's more of an anger, uh, violent monster. He's more, like, passive-aggressive and smarmy. Yeah, right. Uh, he's awful. He's awful. She he, she should leave him. He he cheated on her all the time.
0: <laughs> Supposedly that in the real life, that was like, uh, and I forget how they portray this in the movie, but it's basically like, it's not even like he cheated on her. It's like he told her from the beginning, like, I will never stop sleeping with other women. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't like it, then, you know, fuck off. Like, I don't care. And I mean, so also, she was like, went along with it, you know, and not yeah. only did she expect he ex- expect to be able to sleep with anyone he wanted, but he, if she didn't want to hear about it, he would get mad at her and make fun of her for like, you're like, you know, like being small minded or something that she couldn't hear about his, the other
1: women he was fucking. He was also just super jealous of her the whole time. <laughs> like well, yeah, she's right? way more successful than him and that's what he wants. He's a critic. Uh, so yeah, just, super jealous yeah, they started um,
0: off basically both contributing to the new yorker after college and they were you know he was doing writing that was popular and she was doing writing that was popular and then he got a teaching job and you know they moved to this teaching job which is like a pretty good job right that he got Thank and then can. and then after that point she started publishing these things that were like massively massively popular and then she became the breadwinner for the family and And right, he was extremely, extremely jealous of her. His writing never, ever got even close to the level of her writing.
1: Did you like Rose, uh, the actress who played Rose? I, I wasn't familiar with this actress. Her name is Odessa Young. I thought she did a very good job. She had to play off Moss the whole time, which is no easy task. I thought she had... Yeah, hard to do,
0: right? Yeah, she did a really good job, I thought. I thought she did a good job, definitely. And also, she's playing two characters, right? Yeah, yeah. This is another thing I found annoying and just hard to pay attention (laughs) to. This is like, there's this doubling thing going on because there's doubling in Shirley Jackson books. So there's there's like this one character is also there's an imagined other version of the character. And I mean, it's pretty hard to understand what's going on. Like if you, I, I had, I watched the movie one time, I read a review of it. And then I went back and watched like an hour and a half of it again. <laughs> uh, and I was like, okay, well I kind of get it now, but like also like, what,
1: what why i mean i think i personally needed uh, a movie that was this what's the word i'm like looking obtuse, for Obtuse, like yeah, difficult? Maybe, maybe, uh yeah difficult probably just like not straightforward i needed something to like really just like break my brain a little bit because it's uh already broken i guess And i just needed to shatter it to pieces i don't know i just like really just uh i don't know it's like a good hit a a good drug of just being like whoa man that was different because it's uh, like a lot of the things i've been watching uh, have been really blurred i've been really disappointed in the new looney tune series um <laughs> i just needed something to like really just show me something new and uh, i wouldn't say uh, it's not even new uh it's a new movie it's a, a big step up from joseph and decker who are, Again, if you don't like this movie, Chris, you're not going to like her. Her movies are way more wild than this. She also directs a lot of Room I 104. Said, I don't think this
0: is wild. This is what I keep saying. I don't. I think this movie is lame. I don't think it's wild. I think it thinks it's being very I mean, shocking. In the that in, not, in
1: I, don't. I don't think it's shocking either. But I think it's like wild in the sense that, like, the choices she makes as a filmmaker, like you're like the the. Uh, cinematography and score and all that i
0: guess man i don't know i I don't particularly think so (laughs) but like i i i I appreciate him in the minority minority. next movie we're gonna do is 2003's american splendor
1: my second wife divorced me i work at that end job as a File, clerk.
0: So if you're the kind of person looking for some fantasy figure to save the day, guess what? You got the wrong movie. Turning on American Splendor, which a very popular 2003 movie directed by Sherry Stringer Berman about the life of underground comics author Harvey Picar, uh, I thought I was about to re-experience what I think I've called on this show before, um, the brief reign of the pervert. Like this period of time, it was like 10 years maybe, where the coolest thing you could be in an indie movie was like an extreme pervert. Like, isn't, like, isn't that what this movie was about? Like, isn't Harvey P. Car like this, like misanthropic, dissatisfied jerk who like takes out his frustrations on the world through his comics and he's like friends with Arkham and like, like, isn't that what this movie is about? Well, I know it is not what this movie is about. I was extremely pleasantly surprised to find that this movie like I like it like maybe more than I liked it when I came out when I would have been like 21. It's just has like so much more gravity and uh, humanity and it's so much more like you know funny and you know kind of sweet but also realistic than I, I remembered. I mean there are parts of it that are a little cringy but I'd say on the whole, like I was very, very pleasantly surprised. You know, it's funny um, because at the time this movie, people talked about it as this bold mix of fiction and documentary because it has the real Harvey Picar and the real friends of his and his real family give interviews. And he, Harvey Pekar does the narration. Like well, My Dinner with Andre, this is a movie that, in retrospect, it, it it is a podcast. Like, this movie has such extreme podcast energy. Like, the, the, the documentary parts with Harvey Pekar, it's like... I just wished it was a podcast like it it very very strongly gave me that vibe which is I don't know just that's just an aside for me and so like in Shirley that we were talking about this movie depicts Harvey Picard uh, becoming an author and writing several real books about his life this is what he did he wrote comic books about his life and other famous illustrators illustrated them so I found this depiction of writing like much more realistic than the depiction in Shirley which I'm happy to talk about um because it's like when the writing in this movie is embarrassing makes him anxious it fills him with uncertainty and it requires him to like do some like kind of shameful begging of people to like actually get out into the world which i you know i really identified with all that pretty strongly so caleb yeah i was really pleasantly surprised to like this movie a lot um how did you feel
1: so yeah let's go back to 2003 i was a senior high school uh, as my weirdo days i was fucking, fucking awful uh And for me, this film was like super hyped up. Like I was like super jazzed to see it. Uh, It was Paul Giamatti. I was a huge fan of storytelling. I was a huge fan of Man on the Moon, where he played Bob Zemuda. Love pig vomit. He was also coming off of uh, Big Mama's House and uh, a movie Big Fat Liar, which I will say he I will always say and defend that he is great in. It's a Frankie Muniz Nickelodeon movie, but. Paul Giamatti is amazing in it. I oh my God. Kind of all these like movies I was really into. I was super into Paul, G- Paul Giamatti. Hope Davis, who's in this movie, was. Uh, this is her movie right after about Schmidt, which I loved. There was also the time that I was learning about uh, Robert Crumb. I saw the documentary uh, that Zweigoth did. Uh, I had a couple Fritz the Cat shit. I remember watching Fritz the Cat down oh then. God. Yeah, this uh, is so the time, learning-
0: too, when there was like. It was this kind of like comics era like crumb came out in 94 and ghost world came out in 2001 yeah, yeah. and this movie came out in 2003 so it was like they were becoming this like big part of like indie culture like this kind of yeah. comic book stuff
1: yeah close was a really big and as a heyday of him too uh as a actual comic maker and uh they were still making uh these around then too uh american yeah. thunder comics uh so like when this movie came out like it was impossible for me to not love it <laughs> <laughs> So, like, I've seen it a whole bunch. Uh, I actually still have my VHS copy of it. I didn't actually watch my VHS copy because it's on HBO.
0: (laughs) You uh, mean that you, like, recorded it off HBO?
1: No, no, no. Uh, I I own a VHS. It was, like, when 2003. uh, I remember going to Suncoast Video. uh, And, like, (laughs) they had, uh, like, you could buy DVDs and, like, other movie memorable shit there. But they had a VHS section that was always, like, cheap as shit. Uh, And all of like brand new indie movies that came out. So I remember buying American Splendor there for like eight bucks. (laughs) Oh my God. And then like still still having a VHS player. I played the shit out of that shit. It was
0: definitely one of those like DVDs that people had. Um, But yeah, you're talking about Paul Giamatti. Like he's so great in this film. He's so touching the way that he's kind of like, you know, that the old Harvey Pekar is supposed to be. He's like a regular guy, but he's got like a lot of, you know, artistic ambitions and like an artistic soul and he's friends yeah, with the artists common. and like collects you know music and comic books and stuff but he doesn't know how to do any of that stuff himself he's frustrated and his friends become he's famous you know he's friends with our who becomes like the most famous comics person in the you know in the world basically and, but it's like, he doesn't, you know, and he's, he does nothing, nothing's happening for him. He just goes to work. So eventually he decides to start making comic books about his life, but he doesn't know how to draw. So he draws these like stick figures. And it's like the scene where he sits down, it's like, he's had some kind of terrible day and he sees the, he sees a funeral notice for someone who was a file clerk for like 50 years and then died, you know? And it's like, he, so the next scene is him like, and he just is like drawing a, some boxes on a piece of paper and he just starts drawing stick figures and then he looks down at them and he just kind of shakes his head like jesus christ what am i doing (laughs) and then he kind of like erases them a little bit but then he just keeps going (laughs) it was like i thought that that to me was an amazing depiction of of writing because it's like getting really fired up by the idea of writing about something starting to do it and and then just thinking like like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I don't know anything about anything. Like, why in the world would I think I could write something? And then just going like, I don't know, fuck it. Like, I'll just do it. You know? Like, that to me, that to me is what writing is about. Not this other stuff that was in Shirley.
1: Oh, you're gonna go after Shirley can't let it go. Uh, there are different writers, completely different writers. I realize uh, that. I realize that. Like you said, Harvey did stick figures and had other people draw them. But, I um, don't know. He, are you
0: saying there was not, there wasn't literary, the stuff that Harvey P. Carr is doing. Our uh, comic books literary. That is the question. I mean, especially his, I mean, I think people would say they, I'm sure, sh- sure they are studied somewhere.
1: Yeah, and... he, I think Harvey's a good writer. Uh, I don't know if it's literary, but uh, he, uh, I mean, they reference um, Dreiser's Jeannie uh, Gerhard, I believe, uh, which is, uh, I thought was a good, there's so many great kind of stuff in that movie. But, yeah, uh, Dreiser was a naturalist novelist in the early 1900s, And I think that's what Harvey was saying. Like, um, one of his great lines is Ordinary life is pretty complex stuff. Like he is very much an everyman person. He's a blue-collar guy, but at the same time, he's like a complete original. And the way that like Crumb sees him, or the other Fred, I forget Fred's last name, uh, just the way they drew him was like otherworldly, and that's what made it more literary too that was like the, the lines within the the, the the words too the actual drawing of the comics this movie did a, a bunch of great tricks of just beautiful montages of tiny little part of his life and then they would just show the panel of it they did that like i don't know two or yeah. three times those were that that's just this really really cool filmmaking and just a great way to show it's very
0: the- creative i mean for the time especially it was very creative filmmaking right yeah. i mean it was not the kind of thing that was done very often They
1: established that like very very early on it's the opening credit sequence like yeah they're breaking the fourth wall in the opening credit sequence like they're telling you stuff as they're showing you the people who make the movie i, I, I did, completely forgot about that and it really just starts off that fun in the very first scene after that okay well the first scene is uh him as a kid opening credits and then it goes right into a scene of the real harvey uh which you're like oh like he like you get to know the character right away and he is a uh, fucking cool person
0: (laughs) Hmm. well so one of the interesting things that happens in this movie is that it's not just about harvey p car deciding to make comics and beginning to make comics it's about him like you know making comics and becoming successful and all the different things that happen and and don't happen in his life. And like one of the very weird ones is that he becomes a regular guest on David Letterman. This is back in the eighties, right? When David Letterman would have on like cranks to that would like, he would make fun of them and they would make fun of him. And, you know, ideally like Dave would get made fun of more, but sometimes Dave would be like actually kind of an asshole to people and make fun of them like kind of a lot. And so for a while, Harvey Picar is one of these people. And it's like a huge section of this movie is his like being on David Letterman and being so mad about it and always mad at Letterman until he finally like actually blows up at him on air and they have some kind of huge argument. And then he's like, never asked back on again. It was really interesting for me to see it when I first saw it, because I was used to fucking, I mean, worship, worship David Letterman. Right. Um, So to see him as like the bad guy, kind of, I was, I didn't really know how to handle it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I, had that same like reaction. Uh, and I did read about that because I, I was always curious why they uh, they showed actual real clips of Letterman in this movie, uh, except for that last blow-up where Harvey talks about uh, the situation in the Middle East or uh, GE's complicity, uh, who owns NBC, uh, which is kind of awesome for a guy to go on TV and talk about that. But they didn't... Uh, it was Paul Giamatti and uh, some actor recreating that uh, because Letterman himself would not give him permission. It was that interview and another interview. He said they they wouldn't let him them use that. And also... In the movie, it looks like that's his last appearance, but in real life, he went on the show two more times after
0: that. <laughs> 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 that's pretty funny. That's actually yeah. pretty funny. Yeah, no, I mean, that was really interesting. And then it's right. Then he also gets cancer. I mean, in a certain sense, it's like mm-hmm. too much happens in the movie. Like it follows him over, I don't know, how many years is this? Like 20 years or something? It
1: starts the 60s, yeah.
0: Yeah, 30 years. And he gets a, he adopts a kid eventually. It's like, gets, but gets
1: it to, to, catches up with 2003.
0: Yeah, well, right. Yeah, yeah. So it, it goes for many, many years. And in a, in the hands of a different director or, you know, done in a different way, a, a movie like this could feel very much like, and then this happened, and then this happened. But it, for some reason, it's just very well stitched together, that everything seems to naturally follow the other thing. And even though we're spanning decades and so many, it's just basically different comic books that he did, right? Different series of comic books. But it just seems like, I don't know, to me at least, like it was well... I, I didn't think about it at all, you know.
1: Uh, let's talk about those uh, directors. I think this is their best movie. Uh, it's a team director, uh, Sherry Springer, uh, Sherry Springer-Berman, and Robert yeah. Polchini. Uh, they did do some documentaries. Uh, they did a movie I like, another HBO film uh, called *Cinema Verite*, which was about the uh, first reality TV show of uh, They followed the a family in the '70s, uh, but they also did. Um, oh, was movie, that was that the one? one?
0: Was it was a movie oh. with um, Tim Robbins? Th- Tim that Robbins one.
1: And uh, I forget who the other actor was in it. But yeah, uh, yeah, I like that movie. Oh yeah, that's uh, a good movie, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was an HBO movie, uh, which was, this was as well. But that uh, was so good that they put it in theaters. <laughs> they still put it in theaters. <laughs> Is that um, true? Yeah. I didn't know that.
0: This was supposed to be really, an HBO
1: yeah. original movie? Yeah, and it, it played at Sundance. And there it got crazy word of mouth, won the Sundance uh, Grand Jury Prize uh, that wow. year in 2003. Uh, so yeah, like, oh, cool, we can make money off of this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that leapfrogged them into, award-wise, uh, nominated for an Oscar. This movie is an Oscar-nominated film. It was Best Adapted Screenplay. One of the coolest Oscar nominations, I feel, always feel. I
0: mean, Paul Giamatti should have been nominated for Best Actor. He's great in this movie. He's absolutely fantastic.
1: Uh, it lost to Return of the King, which, sure. <laughs> Return of the King, oh my uh, God. Um, yes, the best screen. thing
0: about Return of the King is the screenplay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they, won, they slipped the category. That was like the culmination because Oscars are stupid uh but yeah. not stupid is Independent Spirit it didn't win any Independent Spirit Awards but it got five nominations so it got for best film best director best screenplay best actor for Jumadi and then the fifth one I was so surprised by <laughs> uh best supporting actor for Jonah Friedlander
0: <laughs> oh my no fucking way when I said in the intro that some parts of it aren't great that is what I meant is <laughs> Jonah Friedlander so Jetta Friedlander plays this friend of Harvey P. Carr's that he works with. And it's, it's pretty interesting how they do it. They introduce Friedlander as this guy. And he seems so fucking over the top, right? He's got like a, he's like a nerd from a movie. He's got a big check shirt on tucked into his khakis that are pulled up really high and big like glasses. And then like his hair is combed over his face, but he also is kind of acting like he's like autistic or something. And you're like, this is like not okay. Like nothing about the way this guy's mm-hmm. acting is okay. This is not cool. And then they basically they show Friedlander walk backstage, and the real guy is there, and he is exactly like Joda Friedlander, and if anything more extreme than he is yeah. being. So you so you have to be like, okay, I guess it's okay the way he's doing it, because I just I feel like you have to do it that way, otherwise people wouldn't buy it. You know, it seems so crazy.
1: That scene, I thought that scene. It's a very good meta scene. It's Paul Giamatti and Judah Friedlander sitting in the background while uh, the real Actors, they're uh, people they're portraying are having a conversation about jelly beans, <laughs> yeah. And it's one of those things where, uh, once you see him, uh, and he became like a uh, his own cult as Harvey got famous. His name is Toby, yeah. Uh, he's a very fun voice to do. You're very funny, Harvey, <laughs> very over the top, like his. His big plot line in this movie is the, how much he wants to see Revenge of the Nerds. There's this one scene where a nerd grabs the microphone during a pep rally and announces that he is a nerd and that he is proud of it and stands up for the rights of other nerds. But getting into the uh, meta aspect of it, which is, uh, I'm always a big fan of meta stuff. So this movie does kind of read like a formulaic biopic in a way. Yeah. Uh, but it's greatest when it really into that meta stuff, like, using the real Harvey to break the scenes or when Harvey gets to comment or even uh, Paul Giamatti breaking camera and like saying uh, a a nice little speech to the audience. Well, when I was saying
0: that like this movie has like big podcast energy, I mean, Mm -hmm. I was thinking actually, yeah, that scene with Harvey Picar and Toby talking about jelly beans. It's, it's funny because it, it, again, it immediately follows a scene that is uh, Judah Friedlander and Paul Giamatti doing a similar kind of thing where they're like picking it, you know harvey Picar's picking at toby and toby is like kind of oblivious Mm -hmm. he's being picked at but watching the real ones of them do it i was like this is so much more entertaining and i get their dynamics so much better i feel like it wasn't being portrayed like exactly right in the in the fiction version but when you watch Mm -hmm. the real ones of them do it you're like oh yeah this is really charming and cute and like i could listen to this for like 100 years yeah like that's what i i like i would much like i i long for the podcast version of this movie
1: so um the whole meta aspect of it and like the whole real people of it just really lends itself to how it was a comic book and now that really works as a comic book screenplay, as a especially about a comic book that's about people's real life. But there is a part in the movie that was a little bit too meta for their own good that I love. Uh, like they see the real a play based on American Splendor. Oh, yes. uh, and that would've that play is basically what this movie would have been if it was a shitty movie. <laughs> it's uh, Donald, Logue
0: and, Donald Logue and Molly Shannon are Molly playing. Shane. It's so fucking dumb and it's so cheesy and bad and the best part is the Harvey Picard loves it and afterwards he feels so good about himself and it's
1: like so terrible the price is so bad. I think my favorite little meta thing they do is at the end the real Harvey Picard says oh no, I get a lot of money from making this movie. I could use that. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So do you have really anything else to say about, about, about this movie, Caleb? I mean, we could talk about how it uh, really was like a launching point for the great Paul Giamatti, who I, he had like a, a, a moment where he was just like a super bona fide movie star. And this was like 2003 to maybe like 2011 uh, sideways was the next year, which was like, Oscar sideways was
0: the next year yeah that's one of those movies that like i feel like hasn't aged well like i feel like it's a punchline now to talk about sideways but sideways. I, I definitely remember wa- liking it when i saw it but i never i haven't really great. watched it it's, since it's, then really but...
1: thing it for sandra O oh, too uh, i think it's probably underrated by now uh he also got to star in uh, cinderella man was the year after that so like two oscar nominations in a row uh, then he got the headline a Nolan movie. Uh, he was in the, uh, not, no, not the Nolan one, the other one, the illusionist, the other magician movie. All him. right. Uh, he starred in a horror movie. The M night Shyamalan was at the peak, the lady in water. Uh, he was in. Oh uh, yeah. Shoot but that up.
0: was like a disaster. That movie was a complete disaster. It was a huge flop,
1: mm-hmm. but he was like this weird looking character actor. I love so the illusionist I mean, I
0: was that not that very guy. successful either no, I would, was I would
1: it, say. what yeah. shoot him up which was like a big action movie that he was in yeah, a that movie. was
0: also a flop this is like then we saw on a real slide then he's in Fred
1: Claus yeah yeah he, he did, he did the, John the movie,
0: Adams TV. It's did like really
1: that TV that he was like a, a bona fide movie star for a minute
0: <laughs> that's
1: so awesome he's still in like a very a good enough draw too he produces a lot of stuff he did um uh, lodge 49 which I really like
0: no he's in billions now I guess
1: Oh yeah, billions. Always like the movie. I think it was uh, around two thousand eleven. Uh, win win from uh, Thomas McCarthy. I think that uh, that's like a very comfort movie for me. I've never seen that.
0: Um, <laughs> speaking of that stuff, the director of this movie, um, the Sherry female,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: she she directs like TV now. I guess like Succession, She's directed an episode of Succession, just stuff like that.
1: That's cool. Yeah, um, they, did, they also did the movie The Nanny Diaries, that Scarlett Johansson movie oh, really? oh yeah this
0: movie win-win i really like this movie too Caleb. it's like a really good movie right it's about it him good, and he's yeah. like a high school wrestling coach yep. yeah it's great it's a good movie it's very touching it's <laughs> very like indie movie it's very like of the little miss sunshine era <laughs> you know with like bright colors but real life kind yeah. of stuff yeah, yeah. It's him
1: and Amy yeah. Ryan. Uh, it's good 10%. it's great
0: <laughs> all right dog well let's say you had to pick one of these movies or someone who knows you very well is going to Absolutely destroy you in a very popular work of fiction that will survive both of you by decades and decades. Uh, so which I of these two it, are you going to go with?
1: I think these movies are completely opposite, so it's really hard to do. It's like why we do this podcast. Like why do we do this podcast? Like I, how can who we knows, do, how can I I I choose know, between? How could I honestly, for me, I can't really choose between that. Uh, if it was like a gun to my head situation, I probably would say surely and that's. Mostly in means of uh, uh, me being a huge Josephine Decker fan. American Splendor probably does belong to Paul Giamatti uh, or Harvey Picar, the real-life person or the actor. Uh, and it's that, a great movie, but I do like – I've only read like a handful, but I like the Splendor comics more, and I like more other Paul Giamatti's more. It's still a fucking amazing movie, and please go watch it. It's on HBO but man Shirley is like something I'm still wrapping my head around and I don't know if it's my favorite of Josephine Decker's movies uh but I can't pick a favorite of hers either but I'm going to I'm going for me I'm saying Shirley.
0: Yeah, I, I mean you
1: really
0: will not be surprised to hear me say that I think it's uh American Splendor. Uh I, you know, I, whatever. You heard all the stuff I said. I mean, I <laughs> I definitely would prefer American Splendor. I mean, I I understand. I don't know if this is reflective of some kind of like deficiency on my part i mean i i don't know if i just can't I get outside myself, myself enough to appreciate a movie like shirley but to really? me it was just like it's not a film in the way that i think a film should be a film if, if you know what, what i mean i just didn't no, think i, it, I didn't really. think it was well done i really didn't i really didn't um oh,
1: I thought it was amazingly well done.
0: i feel like people i understand that people like it you know and, and they have their reasons for liking it but to me it's like The things that it does are wrong. (laughs) You know,
1: like... Oh, that's my tempo. I hit my tempo really well. Whatever, I know.
0: But not in a way that's, like, transgressive. It's, like, it's just bad. It's just not well done, you know? Like,
1: I don't... You said there were good things in it, but (laughs) you still think it was... I don't know.
0: I mean, there were good things in it. There were good things in it, for sure.
1: I think overhearing... Overhearing. Having a podcast with you talking about it. There was, like, a through line of relating to the writing, too. Because you are a... successful writer who does do this a lot but yeah i hope your process isn't like i hope most writers <laughs> process isn't like this woman's in real life who's by all accounts seems like she had a very hard life it was just so over the top
0: and i mean i understand i just don't react well to things that are like i i consider to be theatrical and like the, you know this kind of like poetic lyrical kind of thing i it's just not the kind of thing that I'm into, you know. And That's I run weird. into a lot of it, you know. I'm from the South, dog. This is where all this shit is from, man. I don't, I, I don't like it. I don't Have like it read, very much. You've read the lottery. I've read, of course, I've read the lottery. Yeah, of course. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's kind of like the lottery.
0: I mean, I like the lottery. Nothing against Shirley Jackson. Shirley Jackson did not make this movie, you know. Like, she is the subject of this movie. She's been dead for a long time. She had nothing to do with
1: yeah. it. The ghost of her is is through this movie. Well, if it is, I'm watching it. It's a haunted movie, Chris. A haunted
0: movie. That's the show for this week, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in and being cool dudes. And, <laughs> yes. and like non-binary dudes. And like whatever, man. You know? I don't know. Who cares? You know?
1: Bye, guys. Love y'all.
0: I, you know what cut it out cut it out cut it i mean you can edit out what i said not that you should stop doing something
1: is what i meant uh, i'm just gonna say cut it out but you can't see me do the joey gladstone hands yeah i was thinking of it though